Welcome to MedHeads, the weekly show that brings a biopsychosocial focus to issues of the day, along with special guests who will showcase their expertise and enthusiasm about their field of practice. Your host, Dr. Fergal Armstrong. Hello everyone, my name is Dr. Fergal Armstrong and welcome to MedHeads. Today we have Craig Payne with us, who is a group facilitator. Hello Craig, how are you? Hi, I'm great, Fergal. How are you? Very good, very good. So I suppose today right. we are going to talk about uh, lapse and relapse. Uh, what does that mean? What is a relapse? What is a lapse? And what's the difference between the two? Uh, so I suppose the length of length of time and um, and uh, how the use progresses. So a lapse is generally just uh, a slip up, uh, yeah. maybe a, a once off or a, a twice off. Um, but a relapse is where things um, fall straight back into the old pattern and um, either go back to where they were or, or get a bit worse as well. So let's talk about a, a lapse first of all. What would be the triggers for a lapse and, and then what would a lapse look like? Well, the triggers can be anything. Um, you know, just uh, might be... Um, Sometimes even an overconfidence, think, thinking that things are, are going pretty well. So maybe just just one won't hurt, or maybe I can just do it this weekend, or um, or even you know that that something goes wrong. Maybe yeah, lost a job, or just a, something as simple as an argument, or uh, you know an argument with someone. And it might be just that that uh, default mechanism, that uh, that coping mechanism, is to drop straight out and and go and use. Right. Right. And that and would just would be you... a one, a, a sort of one-off. And then, what triggers a one-off to become a two-off, a three-off, and then a relapse? Um, well, generally, it's that's where the craving comes in because for most addicts, there's no such thing as just one. Um, and, and that's and that's the I think the bit that's, that sets sets them apart is the fact that uh, yeah, one triggers two, triggers three, and sometimes it's been. Um, you know they've been fighting pretty hard to not to use for quite a while, and mm. all of a sudden they feel as and there's that bit of disappointment. There's that thought of oh damn I've let myself down or well if I've done this then hey I'm going to really enjoy it and I'm going to make a go of this and yeah. I'm going to make it a really good one tonight. And so and then that then they feel don't feel great the next day and again the the solution to that is to is to use again and before you know it you're back in the old pattern so it's that little voice in the head you know you can do it just just a cheeky little one it'll be all right that kind of poisoned parrot talking they can perpetuate a lapse into a relapse the the, the, the craving and the maladaptive behaviors is that what you're alluding to yeah and I think that's the that's the thing that sets um, that sets uh, people who Live with addiction aside from um, from other people who can who can just who can just use um, occasionally. Um, it is it's that sense of craving and that sense yeah. that um, j just one's not enough. Yeah, one's not enough. Yeah. So it's, there, there's no such thing as just one. It, it, it does. It sets off that craving and and then yeah. it's out of their control from there. It controls them. They don't control it. That, that's a very important point to make, isn't it? That there's no such thing as just one for someone who's in a, in a, in a battle with substances. Isn't, isn't that right? Yeah, that's right. 
So, and that's generally the the lesson that uh, unfortunately has to be learnt the hard way. Um, yeah. And you hear so often like oh, I've tried to control it, and and it's funny because because um, this does affect everyone from from all aspects of life, and um, you know a lot of the time they're they're able to control most other things within their life and find ways to to work things and um but this is just something that that they can't and it's it's put down to a lack of willpower or a lack of um you know just not being able to a weakness um and yeah and so that that will to control that try to control is unfortunately a lesson that has to be learned the hard way um, until they realize that it, it does control them and I think this is an important to make, important point to make, that addiction is a neurobiological disease. It's not a moral failing. And addiction causes changes in the brain that diminish a patient's ability to say no, to resist temptation, to, to, to resist giving in to craving. And therefore, relapse is part of the disease process. So addiction is otherwise known as a chronic neurobiological disease of the mind that is prone to relapse. So therefore, relapse in itself should not be seen as a moral failing or as a, or as a weakness. It's, it's a symptom of a chronic disease. And whilst we don't hope for it, whilst we don't you know, laud its arrival, we have to at least acknowledge the potential for it to occur in, in, in every patient. And therefore, we need to start making interventions or providing interventions that minimize those risks. And that's, that's where you come in, isn't it, Craig? Yeah, well, that's one of the big things we um, we try and help people out with, and and you know I try and help people identify themselves. Is you know well, all right, the relapse has happened, um, or the lapse has happened, um, mm. because let's look, look, a lapse isn't necessarily just a one-off, but you know it, it turns into a relapse relapse pretty quickly. Um, yeah, if you get into onto a lapse after the first time, or the or the first couple of times. Then you know you can you can prevent it becoming that full grown full blown relapse and um, and getting a whole lot worse. Um, but yeah, and well, I think do do it is part of the process. Well, that's down to the person just putting up their putting up their hand and, and saying um, and saying they want the help again. Um, and that's yeah, the, the feelings of shame and guilt sort of fall into things at this stage. And um, so I think the more we can the more we can just let people know and, and I hope try and educate people that, that relapse and, and lapse might be part of the process um, mm. and that we're not judging that, yeah. you know, um, yeah. because that's one of the things that will keep people, stop see, people seeking that help is that is that shame that they feel and, um, you know, that thought that, um, yeah, this was going to be the time that they fix. And they feel like they've not only let themselves down but they've let friends down, family down, you know, and, and it's, and, and the workers, whoever down it. Um, and, and it's just, we're just going to flip that thinking for them a little bit and, and help them understand that, you know, we're not judging them for the lapse or the relapse. Um, I'm more proud of people that, that put their hand up and come back a whole lot quicker. I'm, I'm proud of anyone that comes back and seek, seeks treatment. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, it, it's a great thing that they do come back and seek treatment rather than stay stuck in the shame that's going to keep them in the relapse. That's also an important point, isn't it? That, that therapists, I was, I was going to say don't, but therapists should not judge clients for relapsing. And, and, and that, that extends also into the wider community. 
As difficult as it may seem to hear, loved ones and families need to acknowledge the, the possibility of relapse, and they should not judge a relapse in, in, you know, in the way that we would judge you know, crime. Um, it's, it's an opportunity for understanding the triggers and for resolving the triggers and for you know, uh, developing a way forward. Well, to me, yeah, and that's the picture I try and paint, is it's a learning opportunity. A learning opportunity, an, yeah, that's uh, right. And, yeah, and it's an opportunity to gain a greater understanding of self too because you can stop and start to think, all right, well, what happened? Why did it happen? And how can I prevent it happening next time? Yeah, yeah those are important questions to ask in the context of a therapeutic environment which does not contain judgment. That's right, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. That feeling of being judged, yeah. The, um, yeah, the, the low self-esteem, that, that sort of stuff mm. sort of comes into things and, and that, that feeling of, yeah, as I said before, you know, of having let everyone down. But if, mm. and it's a fine, fine line to, um, to walk to between um, not encouraging the relapse and, and you know, that, like, it's okay, it's going to happen. But, you know, it, it more than likely is going to happen, but it's, it's encouraging that when the lapse happens to jump onto it quickly um, and let's take it as a learning opportunity. Come and see me, and and if that's part of the um, part of the process from the beginning, part of the communication from the beginning, um, then yeah, things can be um, things can be done a whole lot quicker about it. But so again, it I, comes down to the person, yeah, putting their so hand you, up and saying, "Yeah, I want the help again." You've yeah. alluded to the, the line: "We don't cross the line into permissiveness." Is is there a danger of permissiveness? in in uh, dealing with relapse yeah well i think and that's one of the things is um you know the there's the thought that relapse happens the second they pick up but relapse has usually happened a long time before that um the relapse can be happening in the days weeks months leading up to that and it's where the thought processes change and the thoughts start to those little thoughts come into the back of the head, starting to think about, um, oh yeah, but I've been doing really well for ages, so maybe maybe next month when I've got this party, or maybe when I've I've got this thing, I'll I'll, I'll be able to do it, do it that weekend, and or you know, like, and just little thoughts start to sneak in, and we make that okay. So if at that point that you know they start to think, oh, well that'll be okay. What would be better would be what would be great is if um, they could speak to be speaking to the um, counselor or, or whoever about that and sort of working solutions to prevent it from happening in a month or prevent it from happening. But um, what solutions rather would you than offer? Giving them submission. Well, there's a lot of solutions that can be used. Um, say at the party or before like maybe um maybe if they were really worried about about using then it's yeah they don't attend at all or if they're really worried they partner up with someone while they're there or they have someone on the phone who they can call who they can just step outside and make a phone call to and um yeah maybe they agree to go for a shorter amount of time maybe they go for an hour and and then leave earlier um there's a there's a lot that can be done throughout that yeah so the key thing is to actually recognize the the early warning signs the the, the cognitions that develop the permissiveness 
to, to use drugs. It's not actually the use itself, as you've identified earlier. It's the thought process that may happen weeks, months before. That's a, that, that's a big challenge to people, isn't it? Especially to carers. How do you identify someone who's thinking about using, you know, who, who hasn't yet used? Um, ask them. Um, <laughs> and, and I suppose that comes down to the therapeutic relationship that you're trying to build, you know, um, and, yeah. that, and that trust level. Um, knowing that, you know, it's great to be able to, for people to be able to, to talk and to say, yeah, I have been thinking about using and, I, and, it, and it has become a little bit more dominant lately. Um, and then we can start to look at, well, why has it become more dominant? And, you know, it's usually down to a, maybe a certain area of their life starting to cause a little bit more um, discomfort. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, and a driving factor. Maybe maybe they're really unhappy at work. Maybe they're really unhappy um, in a relationship. Maybe there's a bit of financial pressure that's actually going on. So the more trust that's built, the more we can open up and, the more um, a better understanding can be had uh, oh, rather than trying to hide things. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, the, the, the more trust that's in, the, in that relationship, then the better. Yeah. So that then really illustrates how important it is to have regular contact with an AOD counsellor or some type of psychosocial support on an ongoing basis in a journey through a journey of recovery, which really is never ending. You know, you, you can't say, oh, I don't need I, I, I don't need any ongoing support. You know, recovery is a lifelong journey, really. And it's, it's peppered. It has to be peppered by episodes of care. That's exactly right. And, uh, and yeah, I think too often we this is looked at as just a, a short case, short short term scenario. You know, six sessions yeah. with a drug and alcohol counsellor, or um, you know, and or a couple of months, the three months of rehab, and then you're done. And then, and that's why the twelve step programs um, exist from there. And that's why the twelve step programs are ongoing. That's why yeah. people are still going to twelve step programs thirty years down the track. Yeah, because it yeah. is, it's a maintenance program from there. And you, know, yes, you look at the yes. cycles of change, cycle of change, and you look at everything else, yeah. and and you hit the maintenance phase. And yeah. if you're not maintaining it, um, there's the danger of slipping back again. So I suppose it's a bit like you know maintaining your car. You know you have to get your car serviced every ten thousand k's. You know you need to get your 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 cognitions and your your commitment to abstinence and your recovery serviced every I don't know ten thousand days or what the, what's the equivalent of ten thousand k's. Every day, so every day, it's just yeah. it, it's acknowledging it every day. You know the, the yeah. little sayings, just for today and a day at a time. You know, but it is. It's yeah. just it's acknowledging it every day and saying, all right, well, today is <clears> going to be another day where I do everything I can not to use. Right. Um, and yeah, and that and that that that, that maintenance, um, yeah, is definitely needed. Right. So I mean, I'm I'm still fascinated by the idea that there are a number of triggers out there that can. Um, that can literally trigger people into to, into a relapse. Have you come across the the halt mnemonic? H A L T. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Yeah, and there's a couple of others in there as well. But yeah, do you want to talk us through about what that means? And and, and do you find it useful? Yeah, it's a it's a really great tool, and it and it really just cuts cuts things um, back to the basics and. Yeah. Um, Understanding that uh, that certain drivers um, can really add to um, 
add to the resistance levels, I suppose, um, and, and ability to say no at times, um, and and how cravings can be confused for one thing um, uh, when when it could actually be solved with something else. And so, you know, it's been pretty well identified that um, feeling hungry can um, yeah. can be con- uh, confused with a, a feeling of, of wanting to use. Uh, so yeah. again, this is why one of the things that's encouraged through longer-term treatment programs is um, is getting back into that routine and part of that routine being getting up, eating breakfast, eating lunch, eating dinner and making sure you're eating healthy throughout the day, you know. And, um, yeah. you know, there's a lot of sugar that comes into diets at times and, and maybe it's craving, you know, there's, people have big sugar cravings and, you know, maybe the cravings are for, are for, for sugar or for, for food and, and not for the substance but the default method of... Um, is to start to think you know, of the body and of the brain is to to look for that thing that gave them most pleasure um, yeah. at, in that time of craving. You know, the body's just craving food. Anger, anger is a big one. Um, the uh, so, sometimes people will pick a fight just to give themselves an excuse to go and use. Um, you know, and but sometimes anger can build and. And that's been their coping mechanism for so long to mm. to control emotions and to yeah. um, to balance emotions. That's that's yeah. been their operating level for so long that yeah. oh here we go angry bang angry, without yes. you know emotional impulse. It's just that no control over the emotional impulse to to go and yeah. use at that point. I, I also put in anxiety in that A for so I say A for angry and also A for anxious. I mean, wh- how do you feel anxiety? is a trigger for use. Oh, it's huge. Yeah. Um, you know, that, that feeling of discomfort, that's one of the things that drives people to use. Obviously, um, that, yeah, that if they're feeling uncomfortable, if, if, if there's the discomfort going on and that dis-ease, um, yeah. then, yeah, then the, the body's going to start to trigger them into looking for, for ways to combat that. And the, yeah. the quickest and easiest way the body will tell you to do that is to go and use again. Yeah. And that's yeah. going to give that, that feeling of, um, of comfortability again. So unfortunately, yeah. then, it usually brings with it that feeling of letting, letting yourself down for, for using again too. So, so, how do, so part of group work that, that you do, is that, does that involve dealing with or identifying and dealing with anxiety emotions? And how do you do, how do, you do that? Yeah, so one of the things we... Um, we do at our facility is uh, we have some DBT um, skill sets that we teach, um, yeah. which is uh, dialectical behavioral therapy. Um, yeah. And we do that over four weeks uh, with yeah. two subjects each week. Oh, sorry, two, two sessions each week. And they yeah. work around mindfulness, distress tolerance, emotion regulation, and effectiveness. Yeah. So, and yeah, and that's usually a, a six to 12 month program that people would do um, to go through the DBT process. But um, yeah, we only give a, a pretty brief touch on it, but it always gets a really great response from, um, mm. from the ma- majority of, um, of participants that go through. Because uh, that, yeah, that, that's where the struggles lie so often. So basically, you know, one could think about addiction as a lack of distress tolerance. That's fundamentally what it is, isn't it? Uh, that's part of it, yeah, absolutely. Mm. So, yeah. but um, yeah, the more 
just I mean just through there like we, when we think about those four topics the the more with the mindfulness the 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 understanding of body and understanding of of, of what's going on and um, and how to maybe control it the distress tolerance again to to be able to recognize when things are building and and it's it's once the emotional impulse kicks in too you know as mm. soon as the as soon as that um, that emotional impulse kicks in then um, that can be really hard to 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 re- well to regulate and to and to bring back down and yeah. Um, yeah and just being able to communicate effectively what's actually happening and um, and and better communicate with people to solve problems rather than yeah. just to to walk away and use yeah yeah so let's move on to L what does L stand for only. Uh, lonely that's a is loneliness a loneliness. trigger for use absolutely absolutely yeah. loneliness and isolation um and that's where because when you're alone that's when the brain and that's when the mind can really start to play its biggest tricks and yeah. um and that and it's easy to get stuck in a loop and stuck and stuck in that loop type thinking and just have the thoughts go on and on and on and um, when there's no one else around, it's, it's harder to find that circuit breaker. Um, and this is again why we encourage um, encourage phone calls and encourage yeah. encourage a, a big large support network, um, yeah. and even just to be to be getting out of the house and and into groups of people. And you know, this is why I encourage peer groups um, and be they twelve step or smart recoveries or um, any other. There's, plenty of organizations around that um that do uh that have peer workers or have um different types of peer groups each week that that people can go and join and even things you know men's shed women's shed you know um bushwalking clubs all those sort of um outside activities like outside of self um just to be around people and be socializing because yeah loneliness is a killer it is it is we're social creatures we are, and I suppose isolation really is the, the greatest, for me it represents the greatest existential threat to personal survival. And when you think about where we came from, you know, when we were thousands of years ago, when we were battling saber-toothed tigers, etc., our survival depended on us being part of a tribe, all being around the same campfire. And the minute we become ostracized or excluded from that social group and then we have to live alone in the jungle, we're goners, we're dead. So for me, isolation is actually a trigger for use and also um, a manifestation of substance use disorder as well. So it's a cause and effect. And I suppose, you know, the therapies to try and break down that uh, vicious circle and pump some virtuosity into it are only going to do good. Yeah, that's exactly right. And the loneliness um, builds the anxiety. And, yeah, uh, yeah. and that thoughts and and no one really wants to be alone um yeah. you know people enjoy their own that's, company that's a very at times provocative and, statement nobody wants to be well, alone a, well there are there are times but you know we we all enjoy our, like, well i shouldn't say we all but people enjoy their own company and and people do like to be left by themselves but there's times where we all need people to lean on we all need people yeah. to talk to yeah i think that's an important point even those those of us who feel that they are loners, that they don't need help, that they, they naturally prefer their own company, even those people at times need someone else to lean on. 
You know, we, we cannot get through life on our own. We need social connectedness to actually survive. And that's, that's someone who's not even dealing with substance use disorder. So it's all the more so important for people with substance use disorder to realize that they are so dependent on the quality of their networks. And it's the quality of their networks within substance use that keep people down, and it's also the quality of the networks out of substance use that, that can elevate people into recovery. Yeah, absolutely. And this is the big one that um, I try and work with people on is is establishing that that, that set of connections that's get, best going to serve them. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and and this is again is why it is such an individual um, individual thing to go through. And there there is the, the no one one cure fits all because because yeah, some people are perfectly happy in their own company, and that's that's yeah. fine. Um, yeah. That's totally great. But it's helping them understand when might be a time that they do need to enlist the support and when yeah. might be a time that, you know, yeah, and recognizing and, and helping them recognize that before it happens. So, yeah. and, and that's again, what leads to that relapse, you know, not recognizing it quick enough yeah. or recognizing it, but not taking the action quick enough. Um, yeah. Can, can lead to the relapse, but yeah, whether it's, and this is why we're the biopsychosocial, you know, whether it's social or friends or um, an activity or you know, financial support, whatever it is around that, around mm -hmm. that for them that, um, that they need the assistance with. It's just important mm -hmm. that they have someone they know they can turn to if they need to. So let's talk about the T. What does T stand for? Tired. So, does it also stand and for again, thirsty? Yes, it does. Yeah. Uh, Tell us about um, those tiredness and thirst. Well, again, it's that those um, the body's reaction to to sending confusing messages and um, and and what the person with the substance use think the default position is to um, when feeling uncomfortable, when feeling anything, to get back to a that sort of level of what they class as normal um, is to use, but. Um, you know, the body's sending messages of just maybe needing some water, maybe, maybe needing to stop. But um, yeah, tired's a big one as well. And tired con yeah. contributes to a lot of other things where, um, you know, <laughs> I know even when I'm, when I'm tired and when I'm not, uh, I'm not running at a hundred percent, I'm a little bit more likely to have an emotional outburst or, you know, to, yeah. to not be able to control emotions as much as I'd like yeah. to. And, yeah. um, and that leads to a shorter fuse. Yeah. And that leads to wanting to go and um, go and use again. So yeah. it's so just that, fatigue. that unfortunate default position. Yeah. So fatigue really underpins the the the, the failure of all our our prefrontal cortex you know, or cortices. You know that that ability to say you know that to deal with cravings, to deal with life's problems. If we're tired, we're just not as good as, as we should be, and that then opens the door yeah. to potentially relapsing. That's it. We're going to look for the, like, yeah. unfortunately, that's that's how to look for the easiest and quickest way to yeah. to get to get that comfort level back to to where yeah. we where we want it, and that's to use. That's to use. So really, if we're tired, we need and, to get some sleep. Yeah, absolutely. Don't don't go absolutely. out for that cheeky little party. That just the one. No, don't go here. out for the party. But yeah. and tiredness even can um you know pr can promote like eating and things as well. You say you're sitting up and yeah. like, you just want to use more energy. So like, so, um, 
yeah, a lot of the time people turn to food and things at that time as well. But yeah. um, sitting up late at night and and what we really should be doing is getting some sleep. But yeah, um, yeah, eating and doing the other things that um, that aren't necessarily the best best decisions at the time. Sure. And thirsty. I mean, you know, I think thirst comes into uh, alcohol craving a lot, doesn't it? Um, yeah, it does. And you know, yeah, alcohol's dehydrating, you know. Yeah. And, and then, uh, and when when the body's dehydrated again, uh, the the decision making's not not the best. Yeah, and there's a there's a big culture about uh, rehydration socially, isn't there? Certainly in in Australia. You know, you have a hard day's work, you're dehydrated, you've been sweating, you've been working hard, down to the pub for a couple of bevies to try and, first of all, rehydrate and then start enjoying. But that's, that's I think, where we're, we're, where we are societally primed to confuse thirst with the, the, the craving for alcohol. Yeah, and alcohol only makes you thirstier. The more you drink, the thirstier yeah. you get. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and yeah. It, yeah, and it's not actually fixing the problem. And then, when you're um, when you're dehydrated, you feel worse the next day too. The Absolutely. hangover the hangover kicks yeah. in a whole lot worse. So the cure for that is and to drink more feel, water. Should be to drink more water, but unfortunately, that message can get confused with drinking more alcohol. Yeah. And and that's yeah, right. that's what the body so doesn't finally, necessarily say it's a. There you go. You're right. So finally, Craig, we, we need to wrap this up now because we've run out of time. Um, what's the summary that you can give to people about thinking about a relapse? Well, that relapse can be prevented, um, that it may be a part of the process, but it doesn't have to last forever. It doesn't have to get worse. And, and it's, it's a learning opportunity. Um, and hopefully it can be caught at the lapse phase um, with a good relationship with some um, with some acknowledgement um, and to say yeah I don't, I don't want this to get to, to the relapse phase and yeah okay it is it is can be part of the learning process but it's more an opportunity to say okay what can I learn from this and how do I prevent it happening again thank you Craig for your never-ending pearls of wisdom thanks Virgil that's it for today's episode of MedHeads, and we look forward to your joining us again soon.